0: Well, looking around, only a few people got raptured yesterday. So we're all going, we're all going through the Great Tribulation. So uh, I knew Roy was going to go through, but I, I thought some of us would make it out of here. I had people texting me yesterday, said, hey, we're still here. I said, I'm not. I'm, text- I'm, I'm receiving this text in heaven. I said, the reception here is really good. No, uh, we, uh, I knew this wasn't, yesterday wasn't the day, and what we'll see when we get to Revelation chapter 12, it will actually make my uh, lesson on Revelation 12 a lot easier, because uh, I can show you when we get there that, that that's not just stars in the heaven lining up, it's, gonna, it's something much greater and more important than that, and we'll see that when we get there, so uh There's a lesson in that you got to watch out for some of these prophecy people. That's why you study this verse by verse, and you have to take it not just in the context of a verse, but in the context of all the minor prophets, the major prophets, and the book of Revelation. Even you go back to Genesis and, and Deuteronomy, and those books, there's prophecies about the second coming of Christ, and all of it has to line up. And if it doesn't line up with everything, then it's wrong, and so you just toss it out. So you guys are Bereans, so you know that, and. Uh, but again, I, I think the time is getting near, but uh, maybe maybe not as near in our eyes as we think it is. It might be another 100 years, but it's near. It's near. We're at the end, end of the time. Uh, looks like everybody that's here today has been here before, so uh, good to see you all back. Uh, a couple of announcements. Is Nathan in here? Are you doing youth this week? Yeah, youth will be meeting Wednesday night. Uh, and on, on, on the Wednesday night service, we'll be starting the book of uh, Haggai. So a uh, good little book. So uh, uh, join us for that if you get a chance. Uh, the men are not meeting this week. Uh, we're going to take a break with a men's study for a few months. And uh, the women are not meeting this Tuesday. You change that. You change it all the time. Okay. All right. So uh, the, women, the women are uh, meeting this Tuesday at 10 o'clock, and they're in the book of Romans. Uh, we're going to have a baptism soon, and if you uh, have not been water baptized and uh, since you've been saved, you know, when I, when I was a young boy, there was a lot of pressure put on you in the Baptist church. You know, you were kind of like an outcast if you didn't get baptized. So, uh, I got baptized at a young age, and then when I really got saved when I was forty, I said, "Well, that counts as my baptism, and God kept saying, "No, that doesn't count. that doesn't count, that doesn't count so uh if if you've been saved and you haven't been baptized, water baptized, then you need to get water baptized. that is your public profession of faith. so I'm not telling you that because I get more money if you get baptized uh but uh is something you need to do in obedience to the Lord. Okay, well, I believe that's all the announcements we have today. So uh, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to have to wing this till my wife gets here with my notes. So y'all pray for me. Uh, uh, I picked up the wrong Bible this morning. Uh, so uh, pray for me. But anyway, let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's look at this text in uh, Revelation chapter 2. Father, the last thing you told us before you left this earth is this great commandment that we're to love one another, and Lord, uh, uh, that is difficult at times, and we can only do that by the power of your Holy Spirit, but Lord, we also have to, uh, you've shown us in your word that there's boundaries on what's truly your love and what's the love of this world, and Lord, it's a different thing, and and uh, as you're gonna show us in this text, Lord, it's real easy for us to to take something that's that's meant to be really good and for it to actually be a weakness in our life, Lord, to to where we love without with with outside the boundaries of truth, outside the boundaries of righteousness, Lord, how that can actually be a weakness that the devil can use to exploit each and every one of us and exploit your church. We're gonna see that happening to the church at Thyatira today, Lord, so there's some really good lessons for us to learn, Lord, because we see that happening in the church and in the age in which we live. So, we just ask that you, uh, by this text and by your Holy Spirit, uh, teach us about the boundaries of love, what love truly is, and what your agape love truly means, and and Lord, we'll learn that by looking at a contrast today to what's what uh, a true love really is. So. Lord, I just ask you to bless this text and uh, bless it by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. In Greek mythology, one of the characters is one of these gods named Achilles. And Achilles' mother, Thetis, when Achilles was born, she had him dipped in the Styx River. The Styx River was this magical river that gave the gods their immortality, where they couldn't be destroyed, they couldn't be killed. Well, when Achilles was dipped in the Styx River, his whole body was dipped in the river except for his heel. And later on, when he was in battle, someone shot him with a poison dart in his heel, and Achilles died. And so, in modern times, we've come to use that term, Achilles' Hill, to mean uh, a weakness in something that otherwise would be strong. Well, today we're going to be looking, if you'll turn your Bibles, we'll be looking in chapter number two, uh, uh, in verse, beginning in verse number 18, and we'll be looking at the seventh letter, I mean the fourth letter out of the seven letters. That Jesus wrote to the churches and we're going to be looking at the church at Thyatira and on the surface as we look at this church it's going to look like they're a mighty fortress for God that they're a really strong church but they had an Achilles heel the very thing that made them strong their love for others was the thing that became their weakness and and uh, so we're going to be able to learn a lesson from this church today as we, as we look at this church in Thyatira. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Thyatira before we get started. It really was an insignificant little town. It was located about 40 miles south of Pergamos. And uh, you, probably, uh, you probably don't remember it, but if you remember the lady Lydia in uh, Acts who was in Philippi, She was a seller of fabric, of purple fabric. Remember that? Well, Thyatira was a manufacturing town. And uh, more than likely, she was a manufacturer's rep uh, selling that fabric. And she was over in Philippi showing her fabric. And one afternoon, she met the Apostle Paul and she got saved. And tradition says that she went back and she started this little church in Thyatira. You could call it Calvary Chapel of Thyatira. I mean, here was this little insignificant church, seemingly insignificant church, but it wasn't insignificant to the Lord. The Lord had his eyes on this church. So let's, let's look at the little letter here. I mean, the little letter that he sends here to the church, this little church of Thyatira, beginning in verse number 18. He says it to the angel or the messenger, the the pastor of the church of Thyatira, write these things, says the Son of God, who has eyes like flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. That's really interesting here that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God. You remember when uh, he was on the cross in the, The chief priest and the scribes were mocking Jesus, and they said, look at him, look at him. He claimed to be of God, and, and here he is dying on the cross. He even called himself the Son of God. Well, they were wrong about that. Jesus didn't call himself the Son of God. That night when they were working him over and they were beating him and torturing him, they asked him, are you the Son of God? And he never said, I am the Son of God. He said, it is as you say. Because Jesus didn't refer to himself as the Son of God. What did he refer to himself as? You remember? The Son of Man. Why did he choose the title Son of Man instead of Son of God? Because he had emptied himself of his glory. He had emptied himself of his glory and he had become what? He had become a man. A son of man. A son of Adam. He had become a man so that he could die on a cross For our sins, so he could be the sacrifice for our sins, so that he could be tempted in all the ways and tried in all the ways that we're tried, so that he could show us the way to glory. But when he died on that cross, he went back, sent it back to heaven, and he returned to the glory that he had before the foundation of the world. So here in this verse, he says he doesn't hesitate to say, uh, he says. These things says the Son of God. He claims that title, the Son of God. The demons called him the Son of God. They knew he was the Son of God, but he kind of kept that hidden. He took that title, Son of Man, but now he picks back up and he says, These things says the Son of God. And look, look at his description. Remember, in, in uh, every one of these letters, we get a description of Jesus Christ. And you take all seven descriptions and you get a pretty good idea of who Jesus Christ is. He's the Alpha, the Omega, Almighty God, but he's also the Son of God. That's, his, that's the second person of the Trinity. And listen to what he says about himself. He says, these things says the Son of God who has eyes like flames of fire. What does he mean by that? He means that those eyes, I mean, when I was a young boy, I used to watch Superman, and Superman's eyes, fire would come out of his eyes, and he could penetrate and look through doors. Well, Basically, you know, uh, in a much more uh, supernatural way, Jesus Christ can see through everything. And you know what? He can see through your heart. He can see through my heart. He can see what's in our mind. He can see our thoughts. He can hear our thoughts. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about this church. And his eyes were on the church of Thyatira. And let me tell you something. His eyes are on Calvary Chapel today. And his eyes are on George. And his eyes are on John. And his eyes are on Susan. And his eyes are on Ken. And he knows what's in your heart. He knows everything that's in your heart. He has those eyes like flames of fire. And his feet like fine brass. Like refined, fine brass. Why does he use that term, refined, refined brass? Because brass in scripture is always symbolic of judgment. And Jesus had taken those feet. He had walked that walk all the way he had set his face from the very beginning of his ministry, he had set his face to the cross. And those feet took him right to the cross where he he was judged not for his sin, but for my sin and your sin. And so he has those feet like fine brass. Then as we come to verse number 19, listen to what he he says. He says, I know your works. I know your works. So what he's going to do here, he's going to evaluate this church. And there's going to be some good things, some very good things about this church. And there's going to be some very bad things about this church. Because this one with the eyes of, with flames like uh, fire, uh, he sees everything. And he's able to evaluate any person or any church or any nation. And he says, I know your works. And, And so he's going to evaluate the church. And first he's going to give them a commendation. And listen to what he says. I mean... He gives them, he describes them with some really complimentary terms right here, doesn't he? First of all, he says, I know your works, your love, your love. And that love isn't just any love. That love is a agape love. That's divine love. That's selfless love. That's love where we love one another. We love others as we want others to love us. And, and he says, I see your works and you have great love for others. You have great love for me, and you have great love for others. You have service. That word right there is the word uh, diakonin, which we get our word deacon from. He says, you guys are a bunch of deacons. Not the kind of deacons I've experienced in my past, but, but you guys, and I'm not here at Calvary Chapel. <laughs> I'm talking about it other places. Uh, you guys are deacons, and the word deacon, is not, I've told people in the past, that's not a title, it's what you do. And really, every person who is a Christian is a deacon, because the word means to minister, to minister to others. And so here was this church, this little bitty, seemingly insignificant church, and all the members of this church were deacons. They were serving one another. And I know your patience. He says, I, know, I see your love and your service. No, next, I left one out. Your faith. They had great faith. They believed in the Lord. They believed in him for their salvation. They believed that it was the blood of Christ, that it is the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And they counted on him for everything. They believed in him for their power to serve. They believed in him for their power to endure. They believed in him for their power to be saved. They believed in that blood to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. And they had a strong faith. So here's this church. They're, they're working They're loving, they're serving, and they're faithful. And I like this one. And your patience. You guys can drive through Lafayette and you don't ever say idiot or anything like that. You are very patient. That's really not the kind of patience he's talking about here. He's talking about endurance. He's talking about, he says, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. Not only are you doing all of these great works, you're enduring. You're not quitters. You finish what you start. You know, God wants us all to be endurers. He wants us to, to not s- just start works that we do for him in our service to him. He wants us to finish those works. And so he says, I know your, your works, your love, your patience, and, uh, and your faith. And this is what I like. What's really cool about this church, look at the last commendation he gives them. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. The last are more than the first. Listen to this last part of this commendation, what he says right here. He He says, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, your patience. And as for your works, watch this. The last are more than the first. Now, that is quite a commendation, Because I don't know, I'm sure some of you have ministered for the Lord, but it's real easy in ministry, in serving others, in, in serving God. It's real easy to get weary, to get tired and want to quit. And here was this church, and I mean, this is absolutely an amazing statement. There are works... He says, as for your works, the last, the ones you've done most recently are more than the first. In other words, you're loving more, you're serving more, you're more patient, you're more faithful, you're doing more than you've ever done. That's quite a commendation. And, 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 and so here was this church, and they were the opposite of the church at Ephesus. Remember the church at Ephesus? What was happening to them? They were doing their works, but they were getting weary. And they were getting beer, bitter, and they had lost their first love. And that's real easy to do in ministry. It's real easy to do and in, in 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 as a mother, as a father. You get you get weary of of the bad things your children do, unless you got great kids like me, you know. But <laughs> I can't get on Nathan here. But you but but it's 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 easy to get weary. And God places you in a job somewhere. And he places you in that job for a reason. It's real easy to get weary and want to quit. But here were these people and they were serving the Lord and they were working more and serving more and believing more and loving more. And the greatest of these is what Paul says, love. The greatest thing they were doing, they were loving more. But that was their Achilles heel. That was their Achilles heel. The very thing that made them strong made them vulnerable to attacks from Satan. And they're going to be attacked by Satan. And that's, we see that because listen to the rebuke that Jesus gives this church beginning in verse number 20. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. And he uses that same phrase again that we see in some of the other letters. Because, listen to what they did. They allowed that woman Jezebel. You ever heard of Jezebel? Man, there are a lot of Jezebels in the world. There's the, the one in Second Kings and the only one. Because you allow that woman Jezebel. There are some guys that are Jezebels. They, they have the spirit of Jezebel. Who calls herself a prophetess. She calls herself a Christian. She called herself a Christian. But she came into the church to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, as far as interpreting this text, some people interpret this literally, and I'm all for that, because as I've said on many occasions, unless the context dictates otherwise, you always interpret a text literally first, and that's true for Revelation, just like it is the rest of the books of the Bible, but I think we're going to see here that there's something more than just a literal interpretation. And that's why others interpret, interpret this allegorically or symbolically. In other words, the truths behind the story are more important than the story. There's meaning behind the story much greater than this, just the story itself or, or what's being told here in these verses. For as, as far as I'm concerned, I think you have to interpret this literally and allegorically. I actually believe there probably was a lady named Jezebel. I don't know who in the world would name their daughter Jezebel, but there was this lady, and if she had kept, if you come into my church and your name is Jezebel, I'm going to be looking out after you. I'm going to be watching, over, watching to see what you're going to do, because, because, again, anybody would name their kid Jezebel has to be pretty bad to start with, so you might have grown up a pretty bad kid. But anyway, this lady comes in, and her name is Jezebel, and she seems like this mighty woman of God. He calls her a prophetess. And but she wasn't a woman of God. Satan had actually planted her in the church to attack the church from within. We talked about Satan's strategies last week, and one of his main strategies is to attack the church from within. And she gets the church to somehow ratify sexual immorality and idolatry. And that's pretty bad. I mean, here's this church doing all these great things, and and then all of a sudden, (laughs) Satan sees them doing these great things, and he sends this lady Jezebel into the church to bring the church down. Now, I think you also have to look at this passage in its biblical historical context because there's no doubt that this name is significant. All of us remember Jezebel from the Bible. She was the wicked wife of the wicked king Ahab who led the Israelites into immorality and sin and idolatry. All of those kind of things kind of go together. But listen to me. That spirit of Jezebel is pretty much all over our country today. I'm trying to word this properly, but, but it is really bad. I mean... You know, I don't. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. But there is a battle going on for the soul of the nation of the United States of America right now. That battle is waging, and there are people on the left that are full of the spirit of Jezebel. They're full of that spirit. It, when you have a politician, and I don't. I'm not going to name any names. She can be a woman or it, he. Jezebel can be a man, but when they believe in taking little babies out of the womb and sucking their brains out as they come out of the womb, that's called partial birth abortion. There is something evil about them. I'm telling you, there is something evil about them. When when they believe that it's okay for homosexuals to get married, and that's the same as a marriage between a man and a woman. That is evil. When they say the God of the Old Testament has changed and he's changed his mind and he's evolved, that is evil. When they say the God of this Bible didn't didn't create the heavens and the earth, that is evil. And you see that spirit of evil and it hasn't just permeated our nation, it is permeating the church as I speak. That's the spirit of Jezebel. And it's causing people to commit sexual immorality. And it's to embrace sexual immorality. Look, when you as a church, you know, you might not believe in homosexual marriage, but when you accept that as okay, you have the spirit of Jezebel. You're, you're saying that God, the God, your God is different from the God of the Bible. Because let me tell you something, and I'm not picking on homosexuals here. I mean, we can can say that about adulterers. When when we call any sin okay and the church embraces it as okay, you are creating a God that doesn't exist. That is idolatry. It, It all goes hand in hand. And the God has different mores from the God of the Bible. Your God has different mores from the God of the Bible, then your God is a different God than the God of the Bible. And that is idolatry. And it is dangerous, and Jesus hates it. And that's, and so here was this little church, and they were doing these great things, serving Christ. They were enduring. They were faithful. They were loving. But that very love that they had, they, Jezebel comes in and says, look, we've got to be more open-minded. We've got to be more inclusive here. We want to see everybody get saved. We've got to maybe adjust our theology a little bit to fit their theology. We've got to adjust what we believe is moral and immoral so that we can get everybody into the church. The church says, well, that sounds, you've got to be stupid to believe that way. But they said, that sounds like a really good thing. And so they bring these people in, she brings these people in, and the church is beginning to fall, and Jesus rebukes that church. And He rebukes that church seriously, very seriously. And and look at what He says. He says in verse number 21 through 23 there, He says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. you're going to see this is symbolic right here. Not that there might have been a literal Jezebel and God gave her time to repent, but he's talking about the apostate church right here, I can tell you right now. And he's talking about apostate Christians who water down the word of God and make it fit their lifestyle. That is the spirit of Jezebel. And it will lead you into sexual immorality and idolatry. And Jesus says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, those who follow her into the great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the children shall know that I am he who searches the mind, this one with the eyes like fire, I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and i will give to each one of you according to your works. So you look at those 3 verses real carefully right there. And they make it clear that there's something going on much here more much more than just a literal incident with this lady named Jezebel, that this is symbolic, that this text is prophetic of something much worse than just one little church insignificant church being brought down by an evil lady. Jesus right here is speaking of what's happening to the apostate church. And you could say what's happening to the apostate church right here in the United States of America. What happens to the church in the last days? It's compromised to the very point where it becomes like the world, immoral and corrupt. And when we become like, and that goes for us as individuals too. When we become immoral and corrupt and we call ourselves Christians, we are nothing more than Jezebels. We have the spirit of Jezebel. And what's going to happen when that trumpet does blow? Or you die? Or members of that church die? They're going to be cast If you're still here you're going to be cast in the great tribulation if you die you're going to be cast into hades and here's the really scary thing listen to what he was what he says right here in the last verse i've just read verse 23 i will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that i am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your works. You understand what he's saying right there? He's saying that a church that becomes immoral and idolatrous, a church that embraces immorality, a church that creates in their minds a God different from this Bible, even though they call themselves a Christian church, they will produce children who will die. They will produce children who are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. A church like that is a dead church and it produces dead Christians. And, And you can look at that literally too. It produces your children who are dead. People who live their lives and take their children to an apostate church are going to produce children who are spiritually dead That if the Great Tribulation begins, they're not going to be raptured. They're going to be cast, they're going to be cast into the Great Tribulation, and if they die, they're going to be cast into Hades. And I know this isn't, you know, good news. It's good news to me. Because we're different from that, hopefully. But it's terrible news because for for the church in America, because I see so many churches today in America. That are embracing immorality, that are creating a God different from the God in this Bible, and that is the spirit of Jezebel, and is a spirit that produces death, not life. And when the church is, ex- when this apostate church is finally exposed for who she is in the great tribulation, you know who it is. It's the whore of Babylon that we'll be looking at when we get to the latter part of this book. It's the whore of Babylon. It's the false church. And when we see that church, when that church is revealed in the great tribulation, everyone will know that Jesus is the one who sees and knows those who are his and those who are not his. Let me tell you what, whatever church, wherever wherever there's a church in this world today, Jesus can look into that church, and he knows those who are his and those who are not his. There are people in this room who are not his. I'm not going to name names because I don't know who they are, but I I got just odds for the, tell me that not everyone in here is saved. The odds of us all being saved are, is, is. pretty astronomical actually hopefully all of us are saved but I've been around the ministry too long and I've seen too many people walk away from the faith and when they walk away from the faith I know their faith was never real and Jesus looks in your heart and he knows what's in your heart what does he look for when he looks into your heart he looks to see if you've been washed in the blood if your garments have been purified. He looks to see if his son, the spirit of his son is living in your heart. Look, that's not hard to figure out. I've said it on many occasions. If you're born again, you know that the spirit of God lives in your heart. There's no question about that. There's times the devil will make you doubt that. And you'll certainly have your doubts and your bouts of depression. But when everything's said and done, you know that you know that you know that the spirit of god lives in you and if you don't know that i'm not saying this to be judgmental or mean but i'm saying this in love if you don't know that you're not saved well how do i get saved you get saved by simply receiving the gift of eternal life receiving christ into your hearts and when you do that you've got to be at a point where you're In order to do that, you've got to be at a point where you're willing to humble yourself and say, I need Christ. I don't like this lost and dying world. I don't like this idolatry. I don't like this immorality. I'm not going to embrace this any longer. I want to be different. And when you're born again, you're different, and you hate immorality. You hate idolatry. You know who you love? You love the God of this Bible. And and when I see people blaspheme God by saying God doesn't believe this anymore. He doesn't do this anymore. The God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. Look, I know the Spirit of God is not dwelling in them because they're idolaters. They're idolaters. And idolaters have no part in the kingdom of heaven. So he knows. I don't know. I don't know, but he knows. He knows if you're born again. He knows if you're not born again. If you're not born again, get born again. He has to do the work. All you have to do is make the choice. And he says in verse, the last part of verse 23, he says, I, And I will give to each one of you according to your works. I mean, if you're idolatrous or you're an idolater and you've embraced sexual immorality, Look, people are going to fall into sexual immorality. Born-again believers are going to fall into sexual immorality. That doesn't mean you're not born again. But if you embrace that, and you habitually engage in that, and you try to make that okay, hey, you're not saved. And one day, you're going to be given according to your works. And if you're here in the Great Tribulation begins, you're going to be cast into the great tribulation. And if you die before the great tribulation, you're going to be cast into Hades. But to those who who draw near to the Lord through His Word, look at the great rewards that that God promises us. Listen, look at verse number 24. Now I say to you, now to you I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as you as many as do not have this doctrine this doctrine of jezebel this doctrine of 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 changing truth this doctrine of changing what's righteous and what's wrong this doctrine of living as you please yet calling yourself a christian let me tell you what when you become a christian you live as you please but what you please to do is totally different It's totally different. If you're still pleased to live like the world, there's something wrong with you. And so he says to many of you that do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but do this. Hold fast what you have till I come. If I could give you a charge today, Calvary Chapel, hold fast. to to what you have till Jesus comes. I don't care what happens to me, what happens to the person next to you, hold fast to what you have till the Lord comes. See, there were people in Thyatira that realized that this doctrine of Jezebel was poison. And they didn't want anything to do with it. And so they didn't fall into that pit that Satan had dug for them. And they didn't know the steps of Satan. And and instead, they were burdened by what they were seeing happening to their church. Just like most of us are burdened about what we see happening to the church throughout the world. Throughout America. I mean... Look, as bad as it is in America, go to Europe and see what's happened to those churches. I mean, it's a lot worse over there. And, and you can imagine being a little church in London and you see what's happening to all these churches and you're burdened by that. You're burdened by that. But you're not gonna let it happen to you and if it happens to your church, you're gonna go find another church. So, When we're burdened by something, what do we want to do? We want to fix it, right? I look around at the state of the church in America, and I want to fix it. And you know what Jesus says to me? He He says, I will put no other burden on you but this. Hold fast to what you have till I come. Trust me to take care of the rest of these churches. I'll take care of them one way or the other they're going to get what they deserve one way or the other you trust me to take care of that that's why that's why i don't listen to other pastors especially in churches that i think these kind of things are going on in i just don't listen to them somebody asks me what do you think of so-and-so what do you think of so-and-so i don't listen to them i don't i don't judge them god will take care of them if they're doing something very evil I mean, I could really tell some stories right now, but if they're doing something very evil, then God will take care of them. I don't have to worry about that. That's not my burden. My burden is to hold fast to what I have. What do I have? I have Jesus Christ, almighty God in me. I have the word of Jesus Christ. I believe every word of this Bible is true. I know it's true. Because the Spirit of God in me attests to me that it is true. If you don't believe this is true, then you don't have the Spirit yet. And I'm not picking on you. Get the Spirit. Ask God in your life. Ask God to show you if this is true. And he will show you that this is true. And I'm going to hold fast to this word till the end. I'm not going to let loose of this world. And that's good news, that that's not my burden to fix the rest of these churches around the world. My burden is to teach this word in context, verse by verse, until the Lord comes and gets me. I was hoping it was Saturday. It wasn't. So we got to to teach some more, and listen some more, and study some more. But what a blessing. I mean, think of what a privilege you have To know the Lord. To know the Lord truly as the Lord is. To know what's truly right and wrong. To to have that sense of what's right and wrong. That moral sense that God gives you by His Holy Spirit. To know the God of this Bible as He reveals Himself in His Word. And by the Spirit He reveals Himself to you. What a great privilege. And your job, I'm going to tell you, your main job in life is to hold fast to the Lord and hold fast to his truth and hold fast to what he says is right and what he says is wrong. And listen what happens. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Then he quotes from Psalm Two, in verse number 27, he says, He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. All the people of the spirit of Jezebel are going to be dashed to pieces like potter's ve- vessels. As I also have received from my Father. All judgment, all power, all rule, and all dominion has been given to Jesus Christ by his Father. How do we overcome? Hey, I want to overcome, don't you? I want to rule and reign with the Lord, don't you? How do we overcome? By keeping His works. What are His works? Remember what Jesus told the Jews in John chapter 6 when they asked, What works must we do? He says, This is the work of God, that you believe on the one whom He sent, that you believe on me. That's your work. And that sounds pretty easy. But the devil's going to come at you with everything he's got to get you not to believe this Bible. To not believe in Jesus Christ. To not trust in Jesus Christ. He wants you to trust him for everything in your life. He wants you to give your life to him. Every decision you make in your life to him. You know why? Because he wants to do good things in your life. And that's your work. That's your work. And that's how you keep The works till the end, you keep right on believing. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 12. He says, if we endure, if we keep on believing, is his word. In all 66 books of this word, he says, Paul says in 2 Timothy 12, we will reign with him. Man, can you imagine reigning at the side of Jesus Christ? You know, if there are a lot of Christians, I believe there's a lot of Christians. You take all the Christians that have ever lived, all the born-again believers since Jesus died on that cross, since Pentecost, there's a lot of us. I'm going to want to get as close to him as I am, so I'm going to be pushing you guys away a little bit. I I want to sit as close to Jesus as I possibly can. I mean, where are we going to rain? I mean, if there's, all of us are raining, hey, we're not going to have much to do. Let me tell you something. Do you realize that there are more galaxies in this universe than there are people who have ever lived on this earth? Galaxies. And in every galaxy, the average number of planets is... 500 billion planets. Somewhere in the universe, he's got a place for you to rule and reign. Somewhere. It'll start out in the millennium. Who knows where we'll be? But we'll be ruling and reigning with him. What a great privilege. But you know, that's not it. That's not really the reward. Let me tell you what the great reward is. Look at, he'll let him tell you. Verse 28. And I will give him the one who keeps my works until the end. The one who isn't influenced by the spirit of Jezebel. The spirit of death and idolatry and immorality. He says, I will give him the morning star. The morning star. You'll have your own star to. To carry around. No, that's not what that is. What is the morning star? Well, right at the end of Revelation, when we get there in about 10 years, right, right at the end of Revelation in chapter 22, the mystery told to us in verse 16. Jesus says, I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Remember what the Lord told Abraham in chapter 15 of Genesis? He said, I am, I am, I am, the great I am, I am your exceedingly great reward. If you ever have experienced just a moment of the presence of Jesus Christ, if you've ever just a moment of it. I'm talking about physical presence. Those little crumbs that fall down from heaven that we experience from time to time. If you've ever experienced that, there's nothing you want more in life than the morning star. The morning star. And the more we overcome The more we stay true to this word by faith, the more we stay true to our Lord, the more the morning star dawns in our hearts till it dawns so brightly that when we see him, we will be like him. And we will rule and reign by his side. Now, you can't get any better. I can tell you that right now. But be careful. The devil does not want that to happen. And he's dug a hole. The depths of Satan. He's dug a hole. And he's set a trap. And it's our Achilles heel. It's our Achilles heel. The very thing that makes us strong our love for Christ and our love for one another, if we aren't careful, it can cause us to abandon truth, abandon God's moral code, and it can be the very thing that destroys us. And I see it, the devil coming right at the hill of the church right now with his poison darts. And he's destroying the church in the name of love. In the name of love, we're going to take these people in. In the name of love, we're going to bend our doctrine so they're comfortable. In the name of love, we're going to accept their immorality. In the name of love, we're just going to love everybody because God loves everybody. You know, people say God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. Man, you're reading the wrong Bible. God hates sinners. You are at in enmity with God until you're saved. Now, he, he, I, I was at enmity with God until Christ came into my heart and took away my sin. Took, when I received Him by faith, looked to the cross for my salvation, then I was at peace with God, but not until then. I don't know if you've Read the articles recently about, of course, I'm sure you've read a lot of articles about the attack on the Christian right, but one that's made the news as if it were fact is the Southern Poverty Law Center's map of hate groups. Have any of y'all seen that? And the left-wing media has accepted that map as fact. They, they just printed all the major news channels, CBS, uh, NBC, ABC, they all, CNN. I'm not a fan of CNN. You'll probably figure that out. But they've all just accepted that map as fact. In other words, they have given them, ordained them as the power in America to determine what's a hate group and what's not a hate group. Let me tell you a little bit about the SPLC. It was formed in Montgomery in the 70s to fight against, uh, to fight for civil rights for black people, which was a good thing. The problem is they came into the, Quite a little late, you know. In my opinion, uh, it was formed, I believe, for good purposes, but it's become a wing of the left. Uh, its major contributors are people like George Clooney, uh, corporations like Apple, J.P. Morgan Chase. If you know anything about Chase, you know how much they promote a liberal agenda. And so you can imagine the groups that are on this map. I mean, the KKK's on there, rightly so. They're a hate group. I'll go along with that. Nazi, the American Nazi society, whatever they're called, they're a hate group. I'll go along with that. But along with them, they have put any pro-life group, any pro-marriage between man and woman group, Any anti-Islam group. One of my favorite sites is Jihad Watch because I can find out what's going on before the news will let you know what's going on. They'll tell you if it's a terrorist attack or not. But they're a hate group. The Family Research Council focus on the family. Hate groups. Along with that, there are several churches on that list. Now, albeit... Several of those churches belong on there. I'll have to give them credit for that. But the list—this is just the beginning of the list. Basically, and I—I I watched a tape uh, online by uh, Underground Tape uh, video taken at their convention, their last convention. And Mark Pollock, they're one of their leaders, said, "This is the goal of SBLC. It isn't just to deter and destroy." Uh, hate groups that we, and they listed the hate groups as pro-life, pro-marriage, anti-Islam, fundamentalist Christians. It isn't just to deter them, it is to destroy them. So their list is going to expand and it's going to include any church that hasn't capitulated to the left before this thing's over. We're going to all be considered hate groups. And many churches and many denominations have already given in to this. And for the sake of love, they've embraced homosexuality, marriage, homosexual marriage. They've embraced Islam as, a, as an acceptable way to heaven. And Allah is considered the same God as the Bible of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Friends, that is blasphemy. That is nothing more than blasphemy. And they've fallen into Satan's pit. And they're producing children of death. Not children of life. Look, here at Calvary Chapel of Lafayette, we love people too. We love people. We welcome anyone into this church that wants to hear the word of God. Drunkards, liars, gossips, adulterers, homosexuals. Because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, such were some of you. We were all somewhere in that category. Some of us are still gossip, some of us still lie. We're rep- we welcome in Catholics. We welcome in Episcopalians. We welcome even Muslims in their, into this church if they don't come packing or something we, we, or with bombs strapped around them. We welcome in here. Because we want to see people saved. So come on in. We want you here. But just because we welcome people, And just because we want to love people, we're not going to condone godless behavior. We're not going to say it's okay. We're not going to pollute our doctrine with false doctrine. We're not going to teach a God that's different from the Bible. And what he calls sin is sin. What he calls an abomination is an abomination. And we believe that there's no name under heaven whereby men can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. And we're going to stand on that. And we're going to stand on that. We're going to hold fast to that. We're going to hold fast to our faith until he comes. And when he comes, if we do that, we will rule and reign with him forever. It's worth it. It's worth it. And he finishes up. He who has an ear. How many of you got ears? Most of you. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we, we don't consider ourselves better than anybody else on this earth. We've been saved by grace. We've been saved by grace. We've been given your spirit. And you've, and you've given us your word. Lord, we thank you for that word. We thank you for the revelation we have in that word. We take that word very seriously, Lord. And so we're not here to condemn anyone, but we are here to stand on what we believe. We can only stand, Lord, we're weak. We'd cut and run like all the disciples cut and run without your Holy Spirit giving us strength. But Lord, Lord, as long as we have that strength, we want to stand tall for you. We want to stand on your word, on your faith, in love for this whole world. Lord, give us, give us that love. Give us that Patience that we need to endure. We can only have that through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.